This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. Yesterday, the Ford government made it official. 60 pharmacies across the province will start offering COVID-19 tests. They're intended for people who are asymptomatic only. So will this relieve the bottleneck in testing? Right now, people have to wait for hours in line to get a swab, and then they have to wait for days to get the result. And what about people who are at risk, who want to use the pharmacy? What about them? I've had email from people in that position. They're not so happy. So let us know what you think. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now I'd like to welcome John Papasturgio, he is a pharmacist with Shoppers Drug Mart, and he owns one of the pharmacies that will be used for testing. And Dean Miller is with Whole Health. He was actually just here yesterday. And uh, he also uh, has one pharmacy in his group, or two rather, that will offer testing. And Dr. Jillian Kohler, a professor at the Leslie Dan Faculty of Pharmacy at the University of Toronto. Hello and welcome, everyone. Hi there. Good afternoon, Libby. Okay, let's start with Johnny Papp. So uh, how long did it take to organize this? Hey, Libby, we uh, we didn't get a lot of uh, time to prep, but uh, I think everything's in place now. So we've kind of rushed over the last week to get everything uh, set up, and uh, I think we're ready to go. We're taking appointments. Uh, There's a ton of demand, I can tell you. My, My phone has been ringing off the hook all day at the pharmacy. Okay, so tell me how how does it work? So when we say it's for asymptomatic people, it's it's probably for people who have come into contact with someone, or uh, they need to have a test to go visit someone in long term care, or their kid has a runny nose and they have to get a test too. So, um, what um, uh, what's the protocol? So first yeah, of all, John, if they call your pharmacy, very, very are they going important. to get through? So, yeah, they are. They're calling. They're getting through, I think. I mean, we're answering the phone calls. But I think the key point here, it is for asymptomatic patients. They can't They can't have traveled in the last 14 days or they couldn't have been in contact with someone uh, that has COVID or was symptomatic. So we're screening everyone prior to uh, taking the appointment. And then we're booking them and the plan is to, to come in. I mean, this is for people that uh, may need a test for work. I call them the walking worried, uh, people that wander around and they're just wondering. Uh, the goal is to take some of the traffic away for the, uh, from the other centers. I mean, uh, there's a center at uh, Toronto East General Hospital, Michael Guerin Hospital there, and the wait time's like over four hours. My patients tell me every day. Yeah. So hopefully we'll take some of the burden off of them. Yeah, and, th- and then the question is, okay, you wait for four hours, and then how many days do you wait to get a result? Yeah, that, I mean, that's been varying, I think. Yeah, usually it's three or four days. We haven't submitted our first test, so it's going to be interesting to see how quick we get the, uh, the results back. Right now, the plan is if someone's positive, we'll call them and let them know. 
anyone with a green uh, health card uh, can log in online and check the results themselves. Okay, Dean Miller. Uh, so, uh, where are you sending your tests for results for p- processing? Uh, you know what, Libby? They, they're all going to the same spot. Uh, it's it's here in Toronto. Um, and uh, as John said, uh, you know, we're gearing up for tomorrow and uh, and trying to get everything in place. I mean, I mean, as John said, uh, I think the first wind of this I got was last Friday, and it's. The plan's changed a couple of times already. Uh, not that it's changed radically, but uh, we've we've been getting new information. I think each and every day this week. Uh, you probably agree with that, John. I would think, and and uh, you know we're just gearing up. Uh, we've got one pharmacy in Ottawa, and one one uh, in Mississauga that uh, are participating. So uh, everybody's kind of gearing up for tomorrow. And uh, what kind of tests? So it's not those you see. I mean, I sort of cringe every time I see a picture of one of those tests that's going up into your brain. But it's not that, right? Yeah. So it's it's a little bit different than than uh, you know what's happening at the assessment centers. So so there's really uh, there's there's two uh, there's two tests that that um, are at the option of the, of the pharmacist. So it's either a uh, uh, a nasal swab, which isn't the nasopharyngeal swab that everybody sort of looked at and went, oh boy, that doesn't look very comfortable. Um, it, it's more of a shallow swab. Uh, or there's one which is uh, a throat swab, which, uh, you know, pharmacists are trained to, uh, to administer. So, so it's, uh, it, it's quite a bit different than the, uh, the assessment, uh, you know, at places like Michael Guerin, uh, that John mentioned. Okay, so so it's a lot easier to administer and easier. Yeah, to I would say a little a little bit more comfortable. Okay, Dr. Jillian Kohler, hello. Hi there. So, what is your reaction to this? Well, I think in theory it's it's a great idea. I mean, right now when you look at the lines, it it looks you know daunting to get tested. Obviously, the government is the provincial government is concerned about rising cases as we all are, and there needs to be something that you know, shows that there's some action being taken. I have no doubt that the pharmacies will do a careful and great job, but I worry about some of the perceptions that this might cause amongst some members of the population who might be hesitant to enter into a pharmacy if they think that there are potentially people with COVID-like symptoms there. So there is definitely a public perception issue. The safety issue will have to be very well communicated to the population so they still feel comfortable. And also just in terms of, you know, how much um, support pharmacies can give, obviously this will have to be built up in time. And that's what my understanding is that the government is saying will happen. Um, But at the same time, one wonders, you know, is this, is this enough? Well, uh, this just in, because the premier uh, made an announcement. He was making an announcement just as we went on air. The province is spending one billion to expand testing and tracing. So the money is there, but I don't. I don't know if you can just expand it as soon as you get the cash. Who wants to take that? Well, certainly, you know, um, Libby, I, from a pharmacy perspective. You know, we're kind of starting off in Ontario, much like we did in Alberta. So Alberta pharmacists have been doing this for probably about a month. Uh, and, uh, you know, it started off with 20 pharmacies. We're starting off here with 64. Um, now they're up to about 250. So, um, you know, it, it, it's, it, you know, these, these, I guess you could call them pilot 
pharmacies. We're going to learn a lot from these. We've never done this in pharmacy before, but we're certainly prepared to. I mean, our association, the OPAs, spend a lot of time, you know, getting things ready for pharmacists and, and uh, you know, um, ramping up. So I think, you know, a month from now, this will be a lot more commonplace than it's going to be with this initial group of 64. John, um, what's the experience in Alberta, What and what have you learned from it? Yeah, so the Alberta experience is, uh, is taught us a lot, I think. They've got about 60,000 tests at pharmacies. Uh, their test is a little different. They're doing a, the more traditional kind of intranasal swab that goes pretty much to your brain, but uh, so it's a little bit more challenging to administer. They've had to, you know, have uh, training for that and whatnot, but uh, very few positive tests coming out of the pharmacies, to be honest. So I think they're doing a really good job screening the patients. I think uh, the service has been well adopted. Patients like it. Uh, the staff have become accustomed to it. So it's uh, I've had a chance to talk to some of our, co- of our colleagues down there. And they, as we were wondering how we we're going to roll this out, they really did a lot to help uh, help ease our concerns. Okay. Let me take a call from Paul in Etobicoke. Hello, Paul. Yeah, good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, my question is, about three weeks ago, I was watching television, and they were showing American University students doing self-saliva tests where they get the results within five minutes. So my question is, why are we forcing people into these uh, hours and hours of drive-through testing or forcing people to make appointments at a pharmacy when these self-tests, where you get the results, within five minutes are available now. Why don't we have this? And I believe this is what Doug Ford was referring to yesterday uh, when he mentioned Health Canada moving their butts and getting the, these self-tests uh, approved. Well, Thank yeah, you. you're you're right. We don't have them because they are not approved, and uh, that really ticked Doug Ford off. So you're right on both, both counts. Paul, thanks for your call. So is... Uh, Jillian, is that the thing that would clear up all the bottlenecks, these self-tests? They're, they're less accurate. How does the accuracy compare? Right. I mean, I don't have the actual statistics. And, I mean, again, it would be, I mean, I think in um, BC also they've approved um, kind of like where you swish in these spit tests, which, gar- which is gargling salt water for children and, and up to grade 12, from, again, what I'm understanding. Um, so there's, there's all different um, tests out there that some are being approved, some aren't being approved. The question of accuracy is is definitely up there. So, I I mean, it's hard to say. I think we want to have accuracy more than anything. So, if we're going to do tests, I think it's better to do tests right. And the question is, you know, do we have tests that would be more readily available but less effective? Is that, you know, is that worth going down that route? Or is it better to have um, more accurate testing and have them in you know less accessible. It's a it's a good question. Uh, John Pepisturgiu, what what is the accuracy of the tests that you'll be using in your pharmacy? Yeah, it's very very accurate. These are lab based tests, right? So they're going uh, through a lab. We're not doing the uh, the kind of the assessment in the store. It's not a point of care test. So uh, the uh, sensitivity specificity is very, very high because it's a molecular test. It's looking for uh, viral RNA. Okay. And uh, so you're saying there are two kinds of tests. Are they both at that level of accuracy? <clears throat> well, they are. All molecular tests are more accurate because you're looking specifically for viral RNA. 
a lot of the point of care tests are immunoassays. So what they look for is uh, they look for antibodies to the virus. So they don't tell you if you have an active infection. They're more about telling you if you've had a past infection. So there is some utility to those as well, but they're not as sensitive. They're not as specific. Uh, so it, in effect, they're not as accurate, right? What we're trying to do is detect the uh, uh, viral RNA and give you some indication if there's a, an active infection in the patient. Okay, let's take a call from Helen in Toronto. Hello, Helen. Hi, Libby. My mother's in long-term care. I haven't seen her for a while because the last time I went for my test at um, Branson, they said, well, they closed for today. They were overbooked, and if I come tomorrow, I, between 2 and 3, I only have a 2- to 3-hour wait. Will the pharmacy test be good enough uh, for going to long-term care? I'm going to let them answer. I think that's kind of the point of them. Uh, Dean, do you want to take that? Yeah, well, you know, from what I heard, uh, Libby, uh, at this point is that there's going to be kind of a, a whole separate stream of activity for long-term care. So, so uh, as it is right now, uh, there are pharmacies that service long-term care. It's a completely different model of pharmacy than exists. Sort right. Of in no, a- this is this is a question because people who go to visit loved ones in long-term care need right. to have a. Uh, a negative test. Right. So what Helen is asking is, are the tests in pharmacies going to be uh, good enough to oh. get her in to see her mother? And I, I think that's kind of the point of those yeah, tests. Yeah, that is the point of it, right? So, so yeah, you can be, Helen, you can be reasonably uh, assured that the test you're getting, as John explained, you know, you're getting a test that, uh, you know, is, is, is shipped off to a provincial lab. He's tests are not being assessed in our pharmacies. We're just performing, performing them in the pharmacy. Uh, they'll be going to the same labs as, as, as the assessment centers use. Uh, so you can, uh, you can be assured that the test you're getting uh, will give you uh, either the positive or negative that you're looking for, for to go visit your mother. Okay, okay Helen, to, to- uh, thanks for your call. Um, Dr. Jillian Kohler, I know you have to get to a meeting. What would you like to leave us with on this? Um, I would like to say, I mean, I'm hopeful. I think, I mean, we don't know enough yet. We're learning, as others have pointed out, in terms of how to do these tests, how to get the results back quickly. I think this is a positive sign. I'm, I'm optimistic that the pharmacies will do it right. And I'm hopeful that as the money begins to be um, available and pharmacies can actually scale up, we'll see more and more of this testing and, and help put a dent in this pandemic, at least in our province. Okay, Dr. Jillian Kohler from the Leslie Dan School of Pharmacy at U of T. Thank you so much for being with us. My pleasure. Thank you, Lily. Thank, thank you. Take okay, care. it's Libby. Uh, and uh, we continue with Dean Miller and John Papasturgiu. And uh, what kind of numbers are you expecting tomorrow, John? You know, it's a good question. All I have to go by is the, the Alberta model right now. And the busiest kind of pharmacies in Alberta, we're doing about 100 patients a day. I think I'm going to do quite a bit more than that based on the demand, but uh, it's going to be hard to say, so we'll see how the first few days go. But I think we're easily going to do over 100 patients, and we have the capacity to do that, no problem. Uh, So uh, let me get the lay of the land. So people are going to be screened. I mean, are people going to be uh, lined up outside the pharmacy? Well, that's a good question. It totally depends on the uh, amount of traffic we get. The reality is with the uh, limitations in place for retailers right now, a store like my size, uh, we only allow about 55 patients in at any given time. And that includes people that are shopping and, and whatnot. So um, 
we're going to uh, try to, you know, uh, manage them at the pharmacy. But if the traffic becomes uh, uh, too much, we'll obviously queue the line uh, outside of the store. And we've been doing that already uh, because it is a very, very busy store. Another aspect of this is we're expecting uh, Libby flu vaccine to come uh, any time now. So that's going to drive some incremental traffic to the pharmacies as well. So I'm urging patients, uh, just uh, uh, make an appointment if you can. I think it'll make things a little bit more efficient, uh, but you can drop by as well if uh, necessary. Um, Libby, my pharmacies are, are much smaller than John's. So there is a number of pharmacies that are sort of your local neighborhood pharmacy as well. And that, you know, the, the, you know, smaller footprint, but, you know, uh, as John said, uh, you know, there, there may be, uh, you know, you may be lining up outside. I mean, if you're a, if you're a senior, uh, you know, having trouble, you know, with your abilities uh, to, to, to move around and whatnot, I think you're going to see, you know, pharmacists, you know, preparing for that with, you know, chairs and, and whatnot. Uh, just, you know, make sure you show up with your, with a mask. Uh, um, you know, uh, hand sanitizer and things, other PPE will be not only used by the pharmacist, but uh, be provided there for, uh, for the, for the people coming in as well. So, uh, we're well prepared for this. Okay. I'm going to give the numbers out again. I've, I've had, as I said, calls and emails from people who say, Hey, I don't want to shop in a, in a pharmacy where people are getting tested. It makes me nervous. I'm a senior, whatever. Uh, so the numbers to call. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And uh, I'm, I'm kind of surprised that the pharmacies that, John, you want to do all of these things in one spot. Uh, how are you going to accommodate people who are nervous? You know what, Libby, we're used to doing a lot of things in the pharmacy at one time. Uh, the reality is we're quite organized. It is a destination for patients. I think we've proved this uh, during the pandemic when many of the family doctors, urgent care centers uh, shut down. Uh, where were patients coming? Maybe they were coming to us. And uh, there was a lot more unknown at that time, and we were able to manage it. I think we were able to manage it safely. We have PPE for our staff. Everyone in the stores right now are, are wearing masks. We have very clear uh, indicators on the floor uh, where to queue lines and, and where to line up and how to social distance. I think given the circumstances, we're more than prepared. I think uh, uh, people uh, shouldn't be afraid to come visit us. Uh, we're there to help. And the reality is uh, if someone symptomatic is going to come into a pharmacy and they're going to not follow the rules and they're going to lie during the screening, they could come into our store anyways. There's really no way for us to assess that, right? So we're doing our best. We're hoping people will be honest. If you, if you are symptomatic, if you have traveled, go to the traditional assessment uh, centers. Otherwise, come visit uh, me, Dean, and everyone else, and we'll hopefully be able to handle it. Uh, okay. Um, I'm just looking at a call coming in. How will this affect the post office at Choppers? Well, listen, the post office is an entirely different lineup. We're not going to be lining up people at the post office, right? right? So the post office, uh, we, we have the same uh, social distancing uh, rules. Post offices are very busy. If it gets overwhelming, they line up outside. I mean, that's all we could do right now until this uh, uh, pandemic gets out of control. But we have a security guard at the front of every store. Uh, they keep account of the number of people uh, within the store. And I think we're very diligent about that. So uh, I really urge our patients, do not be afraid to come, our store, to, come our, to our stores. We're doing everything yeah. we can to keep it safe. In Alberta... And, and, 
Go and, ahead. And remember, Go ahead, Dean. And remember, they are. This is as John said. There, these are, this is appointment based. So, I'm not saying that people will be refused, but you know, the more people making appointments, the more efficient this will be. Um, you know, we'll 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 get people through as 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 quickly and efficiently as we can. But you know, the more people that sort of stick to the appointment model, uh, the better. You know, because then we can keep some sort of control that maybe you're not seeing at an assessment center. Okay. Indeed, that's a really good point. Uh, our pharmacies are open, like my pharmacy is open till midnight. You won't be able to get a test at 11.45 p.m. Uh, so there's, uh, it's not uh, available during all hours of operation. Your best bet is to call the pharmacy, make an appointment, and get your slot. If you happen to walk in and we could, uh, we could fit you in, that'd be great. But uh, this is not a service that you can get at midnight, for example. Okay. And the other question is, have there been outbreaks that are traced back to pharmacies in Alberta? Due to testing? No, not, not that I'm aware of. Have yeah, there been me, outbreaks me. in retailers? Of course, but uh, I don't think anything related to this. Yeah, I haven't heard of one, uh, Libby. In fact, as John said, very few positive tests have sort of come with the asymptomatic patients that have been coming into the pharmacies in Alberta. So uh, for the most part, it's been pretty efficient. It's, it's, it's worked well. And, uh, you know, uh, the other thing I think to remember is that, uh, you know, Friday and, and, and Saturday and through this weekend is going to be the, you know, the first weekend that we're, 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 we're doing it. So, uh, you know, I think we're going to get better with time, uh, you know, so uh, as the weekend goes through and then into next week, uh, we're going to learn a lot and, and probably be able to uh, change protocols a little bit to make this even more efficient. Okay. Hang on. Uh, I would like to bring in Lisa Levin, who is the CEO of Advantage Ontario, which is the organization of not-for-profit nursing homes. Hi, Lisa. How are you? I'm good. And you, Libby? Fine, thanks. So uh, is a measure like this going to help long-term care by relieving the pressure on, on getting results? Absolutely. Uh, having other places for people to go to get tests will make a big difference because families and visitors and others who come into long-term care need to um, say, attest to the fact that they have received a COVID, COVID test. And um, if right now, we've been hearing the lineups are so long everywhere. That is a real deterrent. What about the tests that you conduct in long-term care itself? Yesterday, you were saying it can take six days to get a result? Correct. So in the long-term care homes, they have to test the staff every two weeks. And uh, having access to the tests isn't a problem so much as getting the results back. And we are shocked to hear that it is now taking six to eight days to get results back. So, for example, if you have a resident with covid and then you test the other people they've been exposed to and around, you won't know for six to eight days, depending on what part of the province you're in, if other people are sick too. So how do you isolate people and how do you protect uh, people in those situations? Have there, we, we heard about a recent outbreak in Ottawa, you know, um, the long-term care situation kind of went off the front burner for a while, but that doesn't mean it's all good by any means. Uh, and are any outbreaks, recent ones, related to the backlog in the testing? I don't really know 
exactly um, what the attributing factors are. That would need to be answered by the public health units that have been looking into them. But I would think that it's certainly, if it hasn't already, it will play a factor until this is resolved and until we can get test results soon, because otherwise um, you could have um, people in a home, uh, you know, interacting with one another, and some of them could have COVID and you don't even know it. I mean, unless you lock people in their rooms, and even then, often they share rooms, uh, and that's not a very nice way to live, how do you really stop this from spreading? It's like trying to fight um, an enemy with a blindfold on. Well, well, yeah. And John, are all the tests sort of sent to one place, the long-term care and the hospitals and yours? I think there's more than one lab, but they are provincial laboratories, right? So um, we're, we're sending ours to one specific lab. I'm not sure where all the uh, tests go from the other assessment center, but I, managed, I imagine there's more than one lab that's involved. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, do you have, uh, Dean, do you have any idea how long it's going to take for your first test to come back? Well, I, what we were, you know, what we've been communicated is is around, you know, somewhere between 48 to, uh, you know, 72, 96 hours around there. So three to four days. So is is what the, you know, the goal is here. So, so you know, it's it's not, 100% ideal, but, uh, you know, three to four days is, 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 I think, what we're looking at, Libby, as we go forward. Okay. I'd like to give the numbers out again, because as I said, I have heard from people about this. Uh, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. We are talking about the new testing in pharmacies and also whether that will make a dent in the backlog well, certainly in hospitals, but also in long-term care. Uh, it starts tomorrow. You have to call for an appointment, and it's only for asymptomatic people, people like our previous caller, Helen, who needs a test to go see her mother in long-term care, or maybe you need it to go to work, or maybe you need it to uh, get your kid back in school. Um, uh, the the model for this, do you think that this is going to end up increasing the scope for pharmacists in general? We just saw that now this year pharmacists will be able to administer the high-dose flu. Now we have this. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, Dean? Well, you, you know, we've, we're, we're sort of on the, uh, on the cutting edge of this anyways. I mean, we've, we're expecting some rather big changes for the pharmacist scope of practice in 2021 and beyond, uh, you know, um, you know, as they call it, minor ailments, which are available in a lot of other provinces. So, you know, things like, you know, running to emergency when you, you know, you've got a bad case of eczema or you've got poison ivy or even uh, for a urinary tract infection, these things are starting to move into the pharmacy. And I think you're going to see a lot of that change in 2021. So to simply answer your question, Libby, uh, yeah, I mean, I think this is uh, just the start of it. Okay. And Lisa, just as we were going on air, the government announced that it's spending a billion dollars to expand testing and tracing. What have they done for the long-term care sector? Do you have more staff? Are you confident that what happened in the spring is not going to happen again? I'm deeply concerned that um, as we seem to be entering wave two, that we actually might have a worse situation 
in long-term care because uh, homes are now opened up to visitors and families coming in and residents can go out. You know, those restrictions were put in place at the beginning, but as time goes on, you can't keep people locked up in the homes and keep them away from their family. And so you have this situation where the virus can now get into the home more easily and uh, we can't test to see who's sick. And also we've found out that despite all of the things we do know and measures that have been taken, we are unable to keep the virus from running through homes. There's certain older homes that, that just seem no matter what you do, they can't stop the virus from running through them. And so we saw some outbreaks in the spring. And when I saw those, I knew that we would be in trouble with the second wave. And now we see what's going on in Ottawa. And was that just one outbreak? Are there other outbreaks that we should know about? Uh, well, there's there's a number of, I think, around 30 outbreaks in long-term care homes that I saw yesterday. Uh, but it seems to be two large ones in Ottawa that I'm aware of in long-term care but I think it's unfortunately just the beginning, especially with these older homes, because they don't have anywhere to isolate people properly. And how do you isolate someone who has dementia and is a wanderer, you know, in, in a humane way? So what we have asked the government, because we, we don't have the human resources. Uh, we have less human resources now than we did in the first wave. Uh, in the first wave, people had pandemic pay, and that kept them in their jobs. Some of them, that's gone, even though we still have a pandemic. And we also were able to place people from the Registered Nurses Association, but they're no longer providing that service. We had redeployed staff from other workplaces, but they're now back to work. So what we've said to government is if you have an older home and it's been shown to have a history of not being able to isolate or cannot isolate people, then transfer the first few cases of COVID-19 residents to hospital before you have a massive outbreak. Um, Yeah, I think I've heard something about that. And then, of course, that will cause a backlog in the hospitals because uh, people can't be released until they have a, a, a negative COVID test. And if those tests are taking days to process while they're in a hospital bed, that's not a good situation. It's kind of the opposite of what we saw the last time, isn't it? Well, I guess we have to decide you know, what we're going to do. Are we just going to throw up our hands and say, oh, there's a case in the home. They can't isolate. We know they can't isolate. Um, We're going to try really hard and hopefully it goes okay. And then it doesn't. You know, we, we need to think about putting resources into field hospitals and other settings because if hospitals are jammed, which I'm hearing they are, and, you know, they're trying, so people are desperate to get their surgeries uh, back on track then we need to think about other settings to make sure we can have places for people. We can't just throw up our hands and say, it doesn't matter. We'll just let them die in long-term care. Like we, we need to have options. Oh, obviously. Dennison Brampton. Hi, how are you? Hi Libby. Thanks for taking my call. And um, I did raise this point yesterday. So I want to raise it again with the expert panel that you have. And uh, I guess I'm, I'm still wondering how we're going to keep people coming to the pharmacy uh, seniors in particular for prescriptions, and now there's going to be COVID testing, and we're soon to embark upon uh, flu shots. And it raised another uh, question in my mind as to staffing, because these additional tests and flu shots on top of the regular duties of the pharmacist, I'm wondering how the pharmacies are going to uh, to deal with that. And I'll wait to hear from your panel. Okay. Who wants I to think take- I think I spoke to Dennis yeah. yesterday, so maybe we'll give this one to John. <laughs> yeah, good, good question, Dennis. And I think uh, 
We've uh, been planning for this. We know we're going to see a huge uh, spike in the volume and traffic to the pharmacies. We've got a couple of things put in place. I can speak to, for my business uh, in particular. We're planning during a uh, flu season to open up an hour earlier, uh, exclusively for uh, seniors and flu shots. So uh, those patients will be able to come in. Uh, there won't be any other traffic in the store and uh, get their uh, flu shots uh, uh, nice and early. We know seniors uh, love to be up early. Uh, and then uh, we have more than one pharmacist on for all this stuff. So it's not your uh, traditional workflow model. I have a designated clinical pharmacist that's uh, going to be on as of tomorrow, focusing on all this uh, clinical type work, uh, things like uh, the COVID testing, immunizations and everything else. So uh, be rest assured that your prescriptions will still get filled very, very efficiently. Uh, there'll be a group task to doing that, and there'll be another group task specifically uh, to managing these clinical activities. So we should be okay. We'll see how it goes tomorrow, and uh, I'll adjust accordingly. If we get a ton of volume, we'll put more staff on. Fortunately, uh, we're pretty good with respect to staffing, so we should be okay. And Dennis, I think, uh, you know, the other thing, John, John said extended hours. I know that you know, the COVID testing starts tomorrow. I've heard a lot of, you know, the, of, from the 64 pharmacies that, you know, some of them are going to be, you know, adjusting their hours as well to accommodate, uh, you know, people maybe a little later in the day, maybe a little earlier, as John said. Um, so I think that's one of the, one of the ways to kind of separate, but, you know, there is going to be, you know, some physical separation within the pharmacy. There's no doubt about that. There has to be. So, uh, you know, that's, that's the type of precautions that we're sort of taking charge of right now. Okay, I'm going to take one more quick call from Alex and CFB Borden. Hello, Alex. Hi, good afternoon. Um, you know, it's, it's one of these things that sounds good, looks good on paper, but I don't really know how much of a dent that the, uh, that the, the pharmacies are going to put into the backlog. I mean, A for effort, but it remains to be seen. But my question is, and maybe someone wiser than me could, could could explain this to me. Why, if we have all this money floating around, did it not ever consider, did nobody ever sit back and think, you know, maybe what we could do is get a group of four or five professionals and go and visit all of the LTC facilities and actually do the tests there. So they the do the tests don't there. have to go out. They, they do. don't have to expose themselves to other people. And we can get the test results back, and they'll know what's going on. Okay, they do the tests there. They do. They do. They do. The they, problem they is getting the results. The they don't do it for the families and right. the visitors. No, no, no. I just meant for the residents. If they're yeah, doing no, okay, they do well, it. I stand corrected, and I'll come down off my high horse because okay. Good. I, I just I thought that uh, that they weren't doing it. So if they are doing that, well, then full marks to them. But I remain to be uh, call say I'm from Missouri. I remain to be seen whether this thing at the uh, pharmacy's going to actually put a dent in it or not. Okay. Thanks for your call, Alex. Uh, we are out of time for this segment. Uh, we're heading into a break, but before we go, uh, starting with John, 20 seconds, what would you like to leave us with? Uh, just remember, everyone, it's for testing it's for asymptomatic patients. Please, if you're symptomatic, go to the traditional uh, testing centers. Uh, and we're, flu season is around the corner. Get your flu shot uh, earlier the better. I think those are my two uh, points, uh, Libby. Dean? Yeah, I'm going to just say it again because John made a, the best point of them all. Get your flu shot this year. Get it, get it, get it. Pharmacies uh, have been doing it for a long time, and uh, uh, certainly uh, this is going to be a very busy year. And the, the best thing you can do to protect yourself is get your flu shot. And Lisa? 
I would just have to say that uh, I'm happy to see the government come out with a strategy for testing because not every community in Ontario has access to the wonderful resources of the pharmacies. So uh, hopefully there'll be other options that will be available as well. Okay. Thank you so much, Lisa Levin, Dean Miller, and John Papastergio. Appreciate your time. Bye. Bye. Thank you. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.